you know, over the last few weeks, we've been talking about uh, fireproofing our marriage. And one of the reasons that marriage is so important in the economy of God is that He instituted in the Garden of Eden, and when humanity had walked away from Him, when you and I chose to go our own path, Christ came back and died on the cross for our sins, and the language that is used of Christ and His church is that of a marriage. And so in reality, when we're talking about fireproofing our marriages, we're fireproofing the best evangelistic tool that we have in our country today to let people know how marvelous, how wonderful our Savior's love is for us. Over the last few weeks, we've talked about a lot of issues and a lot of things that are important to fireproofing our relationships. But this morning, I want to talk about an essential. In fact, I want to talk about three essential words. These are three words that if any relationship of any kind, marriage, family, friendship, if any relationship is going to last, these three words must be freely spoken. They can't be reserved. They can't be held back. At some point in the middle of the relationship, you're going to need to say them and you're going to need to hear them. The truth is that all of us have a need for this even when we don't realize we have a need for it. And what the action or the words imply is an action that you can give without being asked for it and you can get without requesting. But they're essential. Three little words. And I'll just go ahead and tell you that when a wife says to her husband, I need to hear those three little words, that's not what I'm talking about. Okay? Three little words that if any relationship is going to last any time is going to have to be uttered. And the three words are this. You ready? I forgive you. I forgive you. Now let's just be real honest here today. Forgiveness is tough. Amen? Amen? It's tough. I mean, when somebody does something to you, says something about you, hurts you in some way, it is tough to forgive. And I am sure that there are stories out there right now that when I say to you that if any relationship is going to last, you're going to have to say, I forgive you. There are some of you that immediately a person, an acquaintance, a relationship, an instance, a time, a word, an email, a call, something pops into your mind. And the first thing that you want to say is, Pastor, I understand what the Bible says about forgiveness. I understand that's a good thing to do, but you don't understand my situation. And you know, the truth is, if I were to ask you today, those of you in this room that could immediately think of somebody in your life that you haven't forgiven yet, if I ask you to come up and share your story, you could probably give a convincing enough case for us here today to say, you know right, you know what, you're right. That's an exception to the rule. What's interesting is that we're not the first ones that have ever dealt with this. And on a particular day, one day, while Jesus was teaching, one of his disciples thought he just needed to get something cleared up. Jesus was out teaching, and this was uh, one of those days when he'd been teaching for a while, and he had talked about 
Uh, what do you do when somebody does something against you? And he talks about how to take care of it. It's a, that passage in Scripture where we use it for church discipline or to talk. If somebody's wronged you, that you have to go to them first, and then you take somebody with you, and then you bring it before the church, and you, you share all that. And Peter's back there listening to that. And immediately as Jesus is talking about the fact that you can't move on in your life without getting rid of all of those things, Peter has an instance come up in his mind. And he says, I might as well get this out on the table. I might as well find out. I want Jesus to know I'm trying to live for him. And so I'm going to ask him a question that lets him know that I'm doing okay. I think I've shared with you before, those of you who have been here for the last year and a half, that uh, when I was in seminary, there were always, always those guys that asked questions to let the professor know how much they knew. Right? You ever been around somebody like that? They ask a question just so you know they know what they're asking about. Well, Professor, don't you think that what John is really trying to say here is that they throw their own interpretation? Isn't that exactly what he's saying here? And I sometimes wanted to go, where was the question? That was just you talking. I didn't do that because I was a good seminary student, right? Mainly because I wanted to get out. Um, but Peter comes up to Jesus and he says, if you got your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 18. And I think Peter had a very specific instance in his mind. I think Peter had been with this somebody and they had wronged him. And knowing Peter, <laughs> Peter had probably said something back to him that had instigated some things. And before long, they were kind of into it a little bit. Peter said, all right, I forgive you. And then the guy did it to him again. All right, that's all right, I forgive him. And so Peter comes to Jesus and says, basically, Jesus, I already got a question for you. You're talking about forgiving people. How much do I have to forgive somebody? I mean, Jesus, seven times. That's plenty, right? How, how, how many times? Somebody comes back and does this over and over again. How many times do I have to forgive them, Jesus? Seven times. That's plenty. And Jesus says, I tell you not seven times, and depending on your translation, either 70 times seven or 77. Now, you've heard this if you've been in church explained. That doesn't mean that you're still supposed to keep count, right? Let me just tell you that right now, if you have a ledger somewhere and you've got that you've forgiven somebody 63 times, you've got a problem with it, all right? That's not the idea. He says, I tell you not seven times, but 70 times seven. Now, what I love about Jesus is he would often take a very straightforward question and then give a very not straightforward answer. Now, that seems pretty straightforward, but in their terminology, that just meant there isn't a countable number of times. And then he tells a story. Those of you that are around in January, you remember that we did a whole series on the stories of Jesus, the parables of Jesus. This is one we didn't cover, but it's very familiar. Verse 23. The kingdom of heaven is like a king. Now, just a quick question. In these kind of stories, most often, who does the king represent? Not a trick question. God. Let's say it all together, all right? God, all right? That's who it represents. So understand, he's basically saying, in the kingdom of heaven, there was a king. In the kingdom of heaven, there's only one king, okay? And that is God. All right, we're starting to get there. He wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And he began the settlement, a man who owed him ten thousand talents. Now you remember uh, uh, when we did the parable thing, we talked about the guy that got five talents and how wealthy that guy was. 
That was like millions of dollars. So five talents is millions of dollars. Ten thousand talents is a lot. Now, I know that we live in a country where suddenly numbers like 745 billion are thrown around all the time. Right? Turn on the news. It seems like we're just printing trillions all the time. Everywhere you turn, it's 745 billion this, 200 billion that. This guy, if you took it from that day and put it to today, somebody has estimated it would be around a trillion dollars he owed. Now think about that for a minute. How many of you could cover that out of your bank account? Let me see your hands. How many of you got a trillion sitting there? That's one with a lot of zeros. I'm not even sure how many zeros, but it's a lot, right? Twelve, I think. It's a lot. So this guy comes up and he's settling his accounts and he goes, wow, man, I got a lot of money somewhere missing. When he said that, the people would have gasped because this was more money they could ever imagine a country making. How in the world does this guy owe that much money? But he says that's what he owed. Since he was not able to pay, there would have been looks all around like exactly. The master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debts. Now, in this story, put yourself in for a moment in the position of this debtor. He comes to the guy and he says, listen, it's time to sell up accounts, and right now you owe me a trillion dollars. And if you can't pay a trillion dollars right now, you're about to go to jail. Your family's going to be sold off. Everything you have is going to be liquidated. This is the bankruptcy of all bankruptcies, the foreclosures of all foreclosures. This is, you're done. So what does the guy do? Naturally, he falls and begs for mercy. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Now let me ask you a question. Can he pay back everything? No, he can't. But what else are you going to say? Have mercy. I'm not going to get you the money, but just don't put me in jail. The servant's master took pity on him What's the next word in the NIV, those that have it? Canceled, forgave, put away, made clear the debt, and let him go. How marvelous. I'm going to tell you right now, I don't know a lot about this guy in the story, and it's a pretend story, it's a fiction story, so it didn't really happen, the parables didn't really happen, but I can imagine that if they were to make a movie of this, the guy would not walk away sad. Right? He would not have a problem clapping a little bit, singing a little bit, just a little bit excited about what had happened. Okay, I've heard of some of you that got a couple hundred dollar check in the mail, you don't know where it come from, and you would have thought you got a million dollars. Imagine being forgiven a trillion. What if tomorrow you went to your mailbox and you opened up the mailbox and there was a letter from your lender and it just simply said, your house note is canceled. Enjoy the house. Anybody vote for that to happen tomorrow? Why don't we call somebody, see if we can get that done, all right? That's what happened to this guy. Everything's forgiven. You're done. You're free to go. Verse 28. But when the servant went out, excited, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. That's a hundred days' wages, okay? Okay. Now, is that quite a bit of money? Yeah. 
It is. It's not little, little. you know, some of you work for 100 days. That's, that's important money, right? You couldn't lose 100 days' work and just not miss it. But compared to a trillion, is it a lot of money? No. And when he saw him, he said to him, you will not believe what's just happened to me. I've been forgiven my debt, so I forgive you of everything you owe me. Is that what he says? Is that what it says? No. Look at that. He grabbed him and began to choke him. I think we need to act this out right now. Anybody want to volunteer to be the chokey? Now imagine that. He's walking down the street, excited, singing praise be to God. Praise be to the king who gave me back my life. Hey, you owe me some money. Come over here. I'm going to choke you. He puts his hands around his neck and begins to choke him. He grabbed him, began to choke him, and he demanded, pay back what you owe me. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. Does that sound familiar? Sound familiar? Exactly the same thing. Verse 30. But he refused. He went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. The master called the servant in. You wicked servant. I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. I just want to be real honest with you. Verse 35 is one of those verses that if I was editing the Bible, I would take out. But it's a good thing I'm not editing the Bible, right? This is how my Heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. You know, in John chapter 6, when Jesus starts teaching, there's a group of people that he builds a huge crowd, and he gets the huge crowd around him, and he starts to talk to him a little bit, and he starts to tell him some difficult things. And it says in chapter 6, verse 60 and following, that many of them said, this is hard teaching, and departed and left him never to follow him again. I'm going to tell you that there are a few verses in Scripture that when I read them, they shake me in my boots. This one is one of those that shakes me to the core of who I am. But it's not on its own. You know the Lord's Prayer, don't you? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You know that. There's that little part in there, and forgive us our trespasses just as we forgive those who trespass against us. Now, sometimes when I used to read that, I thought that meant, Lord, if you forgive me mine, I'll forgive everybody else. That's not what it says. It basically says, Lord, I'm asking you to forgive me just like I forgive everybody else. In the same way, at the same manner. Now, let me just ask you a quick question. Do you want God to forgive you like you forgive everybody else? This is the proper answer. Okay? No. Another place it is said that if you do not forgive your brother, your heavenly Father will not forgive you. Now, 
we are not going to deal with, with some of that issue today. What I want to deal with today is just to see the necessity of forgiveness. In fact, you can write this down on the back. If you ever want to truly live, you must learn to forgive. If you ever want to truly live, you must learn to forgive. Let's go back to Peter for just a moment. Peter asked the question, what about seven times? I mean, isn't that good, Jesus? I mean, I have forgiven him five times. I'm willing to go to seven. That's really good, isn't it? Peter doesn't get the answer that he's thinking about, and so Jesus starts into this story, and Peter's probably listening to this story going, here he goes again. It's not what I ask. Is he going to answer my question? What's going on? And suddenly he starts to hear the story, and he hears the story, and he thinks, that's a good story, that's a good story. And somewhere in the middle he goes, uh-oh, he's talking about me. We talked about at the beginning who the king is. The king is God. Who's the first debtor? Take your finger and point it right here, all right? You know the easiest thing to do when we're thinking about the Scriptures, especially reading the parables, is to think that somebody else is the bad guy? Because none of us like to couch ourselves as the bad guy in a story. Amen? My sons have gotten to the point where they play together quite a bit. And they play good guys, bad guys all the time. But neither one of them ever wants to be the bad guy. So we fight invisible bad guys in our house. You never know where they are, but Luke and Eli can tell you exactly where they are. Because neither one of them want to be the bad guy. And so when we read a parable like this, we read it and we go, man, that servant, he's not any good. That's ridiculous. And what Jesus wants us to do is do his self-examination and say, you know what? He is me. And I know that's not good English, but it works. And so Peter's listening to this story, and he starts to listen, and he starts to think, and he realizes about halfway through that Jesus has turned the story on itself. And now Peter, who thought he was looking good in front of Jesus, saying, hey, I'm not good, Jesus, I'm going to forgive him seven times. Suddenly that seven times seems mediocre, seems limited, seems small. And Jesus says, if you're not willing to forgive everything of everybody, then you haven't learned your lesson. But pastor... <laughs> I have good reasons to refuse forgiveness. I came up with, with four or five real quick reasons people give to not forgive. First of all, people say, Pastor, i got a good reason. The hurt is just too big. You don't realize how much they hurt me. Pastor, if you would have been there, if you would have been part of it, if you would have been me, you would understand that the hurt is just too big. The second thing people say is, you know what, I'm not going to forgive them, but time will heal all wounds. Can I tell you something real quick? Time heals nothing. Now, I know some of you have just had your world shattered. But you know how you'll tell people, oh, time will heal? Now, time sometimes makes things less fresh in our mind, but if you've got somebody you need to forgive, it will not heal. Here's a third one. Well, they hadn't asked for it, Pastor. Sometimes people say to me, you know what, Pastor? I will be glad to forgive them when they ask me to forgive them. Let me just tell you something. They ain't coming. All right? If you're sitting at your door waiting on that door to open and that person to say, I need you to forgive me, don't count on it. Now, am I saying that never happens? No, sometimes it happens. 
But if you're counting on that, you're waiting on the wrong thing. Here's another one. I can't forgive if I cannot forget. See, that's the difficult one because you're not going to forget. We'll talk about how to handle that in a minute. Here's the last one. They'll do it again. I mean, if I forgive them once, they're going to do it again, and then I'll have to forgive them a second time, and they'll do it again. I may have to even forgive them up to seven times. Here's what's interesting about that list. It assumes that forgiveness is all about the other person. You see, this is our idea of forgiveness, is that they have created a debt to us. And because they've got to create a debt to us, we are doing something for them by not collecting on that debt. That we are helping them out. But here's the truth. Forgiveness in your life, forgiveness in your marriage is never about the other person. You see, what happens is in our lives is that we allow this bitterness to take root. And what we understand quickly is that the whole reason Jesus tells this story, the whole reason Jesus wants Peter to forgive is because to not forgive, to refuse to forgive, is to move into self-destruction. The reasons we must forgive is, first of all, if we refuse it, we move into self-destruction. Some of you in this room have got a week-long, month-long, year-long, decade-long wound that you need to forgive the other person. And you think that by holding back, what's actually happening is that you are hurting them. Can I tell you something? That if you're holding in and not forgiving somebody, the only person you're hurting is yourself. Most of you know I follow Tennessee football pretty closely, and we fired a football coach this year. First time this happened in several years, and I uh, heard the former coach, Phil Former, say recently. Somebody asked him if he was bitter about the way everything happened, and he said, you know, somebody said to me, bitterness is like drinking poison and expecting somebody else to die. Now, I didn't hear, I've never heard Phil Former say a lot of really intellectual good things. Well, that was good. And the truth is, holding back forgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting somebody else to die. To refuse is to push the self-destruct button. You see, when we don't forgive people, we chain ourselves to that problem. And we carry it around with us to relationship to relationship. It damages whatever current relationships you're in. It damages whatever future relationships may be there. It carries on year after year. Some of you in this room are in marriages where there has been something that has been kind of the, the seedbed of disgruntlement, problems, despair, and you've held on to it for years. And there are those moments in your life when you think maybe I ought to get rid of that, but you don't. Partly because you still think you need ammunition sometimes. I mean, there are some of you in this room that have imaginary conversations with yourself. And your spouse. And think, if he ever says this, then I'm going to come back with this. And if she ever says that, well, it'll be on then. 
and you hold back. Now, some of you are chuckling because you've had those conversations in your head. You know what's interesting about those conversations is you always win, right? But it's not hurting anybody but yourself. I see this all the time on faces and in conversations. And young people that have had difficulty with their parents or have had difficulty in relationships at school or with a boyfriend or a girlfriend that just become bitter and angry. In young couples that I'm counseling, uh, either pre-marriage or shortly after marriage, that come in and think they have issues with each other and there's really just some anger over something that wasn't forgiven in their past. Over couples that have been together for several years or now in their mid-40s and have children and things seem to be okay on the outside, but they've been building up these grievances day after day after day for 15 years. Over senior adults that live their life and have regret and problems and someone hurt them years ago and in the end they've just become bitter and upset. Just to be honest, as a pastor, I've come to be able to discern pretty quickly when somebody's got a major hurt in their lives in moments of conversation. And when you refuse to forgive, you're pushing the self-destruct button. But here's what Jesus knew when he told this parable. Because while Peter understood the parable, he didn't understand the parable then like he did a few weeks later. I can just imagine them sitting around together as apostles during the time of the book of Acts and looking at each other and saying, you remember that parable he told about the unmerciful servant? You remember that, remember that, remember that story Jesus told about the guy that had been forgiven all that money and they went out and choked the other guy? You, you, Peter, you're asking, you remember that? Yeah. He said, we never knew what he meant. For you see, just a few weeks after Jesus would tell this story. He would be led to a cross where He would give His life. And here's the thing for you and for me. At Calvary, we lost our right to refuse. I said, can you imagine what it would be like to get a note in the mail tomorrow that your house has been paid for? And universally around here, those of you that still have a house payment, we're pretty excited about that. The truth is that for those of us in this room that have accepted Jesus Christ and are followers of Him, He has forgiven our debts that are much more important than a house. And a trillion dollars doesn't come close to describing how much we owe. And when you refuse to grant forgiveness, you're denying the forgiveness that Christ has put on your life. Let me just say this. Scripture says this. This isn't Lyle saying it. This is Scripture. That when you refuse to forgive, God's coming after you. Now again, that's not me. That's Scripture. When you refuse to forgive, God's coming after you. And I don't know about you, but I can think of a whole list of people I'd rather have after me than God. Amen? 
And I know that I don't have any right here today. You know, I said earlier, you could come up here and you could tell me your story, and you're right. You could convince me that that person had wronged you, and there is no way in my state that I could say to you, you must forgive. But here's the thing. I'm not the one telling you to. And Jesus, who gave his life for you, is. Now here's the amazing thing. Jesus went to the cross with God's full knowledge that you and I would turn our backs on Him. He went to the cross with full knowledge that there would be moments in our lives when we would reject Him. He went to the cross knowing full well that there would be seasons in our lives when we would reject Him. He went to the cross knowing that you and I even after he had paid our debt, would continue to rack up a sin debt bill. He knew on his way to the cross that there would be people that would take the very money that he had given them and spend it on things that were wrong in the sight of God. Yet he went. And when it comes to forgiveness, we don't have the right to refuse. Here's the thing I'm going to ask you to do today. I want you to think about somebody in your life you need to forgive. Let me just say real quickly, if you're here today and you say, there is absolutely nobody in my life I need to forgive, then I want to say congratulations and you're abnormal, okay? And I don't mean that bad. I mean that good. Abnormal doesn't mean weird. It just means different. But most of us in this room if we're honest with ourselves, have somebody in our lives. Not for their sake, not because they deserve it. Aren't you glad God didn't give us our salvation based on what we deserve? You need to give them forgiveness. Here's what I've learned in my life. I really want mercy and justice to be shown. I want God to show me mercy in everything I do wrong. And I want him to show justice when somebody does something wrong to me. Amen? The problem is that in right. God's saying to you today, you need to forgive. Let me give you just a couple of things to think about as you're thinking about who you're going to forgive. First of all, name what is wrong. Name what they did that you don't like. Here's the thing. We generally forgive because we generally hurt. And so we just say, I forgive you, but you haven't said what you forgive them for. Name it. Think about it. Put something to it. Identify what's been taken from you. And the second thing you need to do is to cancel the debt. Just cancel it. You say, well, I don't feel like canceling it. I don't care. Forgiveness, like love, is not about feelings. If you wait till you feel like forgiving, you won't forgive. It's a choice. If you have to write out the grievance, the debt, on a sheet of paper, and then say, I'm canceling the debt, and you mark through it, tear it up, shred it, whatever, cancel it. And then here's the last one. Refuse to do a recount. Because here's the thing. Remember I said earlier, you're not going to forget it? You're not. 
There's going to be a time in your life when you're going to be walking in the mall or the streets of Indian Lake or you're going to be in a hospital or you're going to be at school, you're going to be at work, and you're going to walk past that person that you've forgiven and you don't have to necessarily go tell them, hey, you know what, I forgave you six weeks ago. I just want you to know that. And if God leads you to do that, you can do that. Because you're going to tell some people you forgave them and they don't have a clue what you're talking about. But you're going to walk past them and suddenly those feelings are going to come inside and they're going to think, isn't it time to reopen that account again? And you just have to cancel. Now how does that apply to marriage? To relationships? Your relationships will never last if forgiveness isn't built in from the beginning. And there are some of you here today that need to get rid of the debts you're holding on each other. I saw yesterday or last night on the news that all across the state of Tennessee yesterday were some industrial shredders that were set up. Right? And people could bring their stuff in and shred it so that identity theft wouldn't happen. What I thought was interesting is I interviewed one guy that came up and he said that he had tax records since 1976. Now that's interesting to me because that's the year I was born. All right? So in 1976, this guy brought boxes full of tax records he had since 1976. I don't think the IRS goes back 33 years, but maybe they do. And he was talking about how freeing it was to release that and have it shred. Some of you in this room, if you're honest, you've been married since before 76, and you've got accounts that have been building for that long. And it's time to shred it, to cancel it. 